Torrent Borealis Paradigm Expansion Greetings from the North and welcome to Forum Borealis. Today we shall follow the journey of the soul, looking into research on reincarnation, specifically children's memories of past life. This phenomenon is known all over the globe, but is naturally more tolerated in cultures where reincarnation is accepted. And so we find that scientists at all continents has been studying this continuously since the 1960s, and as we shall learn, for good reason. So, what have they found? Is there a design to this? Can any clear conclusions be drawn? Who better to discuss this with than the pioneer and veteran of the field, the 88-year-old Icelander Dr. Erlandur Haraldsson, who is Professor Emeritus of Psychology at the University of Iceland. His interest for the paranormal was triggered by an experience at the age of 15, described as a rebirth, where he became aware of an inner reality that was also mysteriously external and immensely greater than anything he ever experienced. Thereafter, he spent a lifetime within academia to study the paranormal, leading to about 100 papers in various peer-reviewed journals of psychology, psychiatry and parapsychology, and has contributed numerous chapters to books. From 1954 to 58, Dr. Haraldson studied philosophy at the universities of Iceland, Edinburgh, Copenhagen and Freiburg. In addition to academic philosophers, he studied unorthodox and esoteric figures such as Martinus, Paul Brunton, P.D. Ospensky, theosophical writers and even Wendt's translations of Tibetan texts. He supported himself as a writer and journalist from 1959 to 63 and in 62, while studying at the Freie Universität in Berlin, the Berlin Wall was erected and he reported first-hand news on the friction between the superpowers, gained access to the Berliner Pressekonferenz, where he listened to Willy Brandt, the mayor of West Berlin and later Germany's chancellor, and also attended press conferences of famous directors and film stars at the Berlin Film Festival. He studied psychology at the Universities of Freiburg and Munich, where he obtained his degree in 69. He was research fellow at the Institute of Parapsychology in Durham, North Carolina, between 1969 and 70, where he spent a year with famous parapsychologist Dr. G. B. Ryan of Duke University. There, he conducted experiments on physiological measurements of ESP for his doctoral thesis, and experiments using the famous random number generator, obtaining significant results. 
He did internship in clinical psychology at the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Virginia between 1970 and 71. In 72, he received his PhD from the University of Freiburg, where his doctoral advisor was famous parapsychologist Dr. Hans Bender. From 72 to 74, he worked as a research associate at the American Society for Psychical Research. In 73, he became faculty member at the University of Iceland, where he advanced to full professor in 89, and has been visiting professor in the US and Germany. He retired from teaching in 99. Dr. Haraldson has conducted surveys of religious and folk beliefs, for example, of randomly selected Icelanders conducted between 74 and 75, where he established that an unusually high proportion believed in the paranormal. In a 1978 survey, he examined the prevalence of belief in precognitive dreams. And in a study published in 85, he found proportionally more reports of encounters with dead people from Iceland than any other European country. Moreover, in 1982, he started to work with a pioneer, Dr. Ian Stevenson at the University of Virginia, leading to a lifelong association and several publications of joint papers such as on the mediumship of Icelander Half Stein Björnsson and studies of the children with memories of previous lives, comparing them with paired children who did not have such memories. He has authored eight books throughout his life, when as a journalist traveling widely through the Middle East and writing extensively on it, it culminated in a book on the plight of the Kurds in Iraq. Another book he did on surveys and investigations into apparitions. And another on deathbed visions phenomena in the US and India, with studies of 10,000 cases. Other books has been about his investigative study of afterlife encounters, as well as the Icelandic medium Indridi Indridason. He achieved notoriety for his pioneer investigation into the Indian guru Satya Sai Baba and his alleged paranormal abilities, of which he has written two, described by the philosopher of religion Dr. David Lane as approaching the alleged miracles of Sai Baba with a critical but open outlook and recommended as the most balanced book ever written on the subject. Albeit Sai Baba refused to submit to testing in a controlled environment, Haraldson interviewed a great number of witnesses and followed him around as a witness himself. And though they did not reach any definite conclusion, he managed to falsify some of the alleged miracles, but regarded fraud as unlikely as they could not detect any evidence for this, and were led to regard Saibaba's materializations as possibly paranormal. In 2012, he published a memoir. Since his retirement, Dr. Haraldson has continued to conduct research and publish articles and is still an active writer and international lecturer and a frequent speaker at professionals' gatherings such as the Convention of the American Psychological Association. In 2007, he brought about the establishment of an endowment at the University of Iceland to support research into paranormal phenomena and psychic experience. He's also contributed to the cross-cultural standardization of psychological testing instruments. 
Alando was made chairman of the promotion committee for the Faculty of Social Science and a member of the university's grant-giving research fund commission and has received major awards such as the Myers Memorial Award from the Society for Psychical Research and an Outstanding Career Award from the Parapsychological Associations. Several documentaries have been made about his work shown on BBC, Channel 4, Storyhouse Productions, Discovery Channel and many other TV stations in Europe, Asia and the US. His 30-year research into reincarnation has recently been published as the book called I Saw a Light and Came Here, which is the basis for today's conversation. Welcome to the show, Alan. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be with you. And we are very happy to have you, the emeritus of reincarnation research. <laughs> uh, today, uh, uh, I was thinking we could discuss uh, reincarnation and scientific research into reincarnation. Yeah. and discuss your new new book and also your other books on the same subject. Yes, that's fine. So people have already heard the introduction about you at this point. Okay. But um, nevertheless, I want us to start with you telling us how come you started to investigate the field of, of reincarnation. Why were you drawn to that? Well, I think the primary reason was that uh, I spent some time at the University of Virginia. I did an internship in clinical psychology. And there was uh, Professor Ian Stevenson in the Department of Psychiatry. And I came to know him. And he had uh, already at that time spent a long time studying cases of children who claimed to remember a past life. Then, at a later date, he asked me if I would uh, like to investigate some cases. And, um, yes, I agreed to that. If I could investigate many enough to make a psychological study of them, namely compare them with children who claim no memories of a past life. And he agreed to that. Mm. So, so you cooperated with Dr. Stevenson? Yes, we yes, I cooperated with him, and we wrote a few joint papers, not only on the reincarnation studies, but also on other matters as well. Yeah, you you have been delving thoroughly into everything that has to do with death. I mean, some of the titles of your books is. At the hour of death, uh, yes. where, yeah, where with an introduction of Dr. Kubler Ross. Yes, that was a study that uh, I did with Carlos Osis right. of the American Society for Psychical Research. It was a study of um, visionary experiences or hallucinations, if you like. Mm. Uh, just before people die. And uh, he had made a pilot study, and he was very interested in this area. And then we made a major study 
we uh, interviewed some, uh, I think about 400 doctors and nurses in India, and mm. about the same, sorry, in, in the United States, and about the same number in India, who had uh, noticed that their patients had some missionary experiences just before they died. Hmm. Uh, these uh, visionary experiences were generally of the kind that some uh, deceased relatives or friend or pair of spouses appeared to them hmm. and indicated to them or told them that they had appeared to guide them to the to the world of the departed. So some kind of near-death experience. Yes, it was, of course, uh, uh, experiences near the time of death. Mm. But otherwise, than uh, maybe we can say classical near-death experiences, these were uh, near-death experiences where the people died immediately or very quickly after the experience, whereas in the more better-known um, near-death experiences, the person has, uh, yeah, well, I'm not going to what a near-death experience is, but has an experience and then remembers it and is is alive. It is yeah. not, uh, uh, it's not followed by death. Well, what are these called in the field? Uh, premonitions, death premonitions? Uh, is there a word for this? Well, I think that these uh, visionary experiences well, maybe there were uh, death premonitions, or maybe we have to assume that uh, those who have passed away, that they are still living, hmm. uh, they make themselves aware to the dying person. Right. And, and then you have uh, a book called The Departed Among the Living, yeah. uh, an investigative study of afterlife encounters. Yes, uh, I had noticed in international surveys that a large part of the population um, feels or thinks that they have had some contact with the dead. Mm. It may be from 20 to 40 percent. And uh, so it's a common experience. A large part of the population has an experience of someone that has died. But uh, these are only um, surveys, and they only give figures. Right. But, so I wanted to interview a large number of people uh, and ask them what was the nature of their experience. What Was it a visionary experience? Did they hear someone? Was it just a feeling of presence? Or perhaps even a, 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 a smell that they associated with a, with a diseased person, mm. and so on. So, so um, I and my students we interviewed. I think it was about um, four hundred cases uh, uh, where uh, people claimed they had had an experience of someone who had died. Mm. And then we made various kinds of analysis, how many were visionary, how many uh, auditory, and so on and so forth. It was a very interesting study. 
one thing uh, that I remember was that uh, it was interesting uh, of those who appeared to the living, how many had suffered a violent death. Mm. Uh, sometimes, but that was particularly, and then that would be strange uh, so it appeared to the living. Mm. That's all described in detail in my book, The Departed Among the Living. So, so it's kind of related to, to at the hour of death. Yes, it is related, but, uh, but the people who uh, experienced it, they didn't die. No. They were in usually in a normal condition, and uh, yes, and it was not a <laughs> sort of a deathbed situation that they were in. So you have talked with people, or you have uh, investigated people who died but had a vision or premonition before they died. You have talked with people who have had an experience with the dead. Uh, Why why haven't you written a book about classical near-death experiences? Have you not investigated that? Sorry, what do you mean now? Uh, You know, classical near-death experience, like uh, being dead and then being brought back. Well, there have been so many people who have been working in that area. (laughs) Good point. I leave it to them. You leave it to them, okay. And... uh, I'll leave it to them. Well, when Carlos Osis and I did our study of deathbed visions, we came close to these near-death experiences. Mm. But uh, we didn't get uh, much response to our questions relating to this. Uh, of course, we were talking to doctors and nurses who uh, were reporting to us experiences uh, near the time of death, so it was a different different situation. But there have been done many uh, very fine studies about near death experiences in the oh, sure. in the classical sense, like um, Bruce Grayson, Pim van Lommel, and more. And uh, of course, uh, what was the name of that American who started it? it escapes me at the moment. Raymond Moody. Yes, Moody. Yeah, all these people have been interviewed by Skeptical. So uh, it's pretty covered. But it's interesting that you have sought out related areas there where there have not been so many studies. And I think we can say the same about your new book. Yes, I wrote a book on reincarnation about uh, my studies of uh, children who remember past lives. Or remember episodes from past lives, yes. Which is called I Saw a Light and Came Here. Yes. Children's Experiences of Reincarnation. That that you wrote together with Dr. Matlock. Well, uh, well, we can say, well, I really wrote it first alone. Mm. Uh, and then he wanted to join. So he wrote a second part to the book. Ah. I wrote uh, about my experiences, my investigations of cases in Sri Lanka and in Lebanon and some in India and Iceland. And that was just that I did alone. Right. And uh, and then I had written some papers about it. And then I was about to write a book about it. 
But then he wanted to join me, and uh, and he is a very learned man. He knows the old studies very well, better than I do. Uh, I have been more researching. He has been reading. <laughs> <laughs> I see. <laughs> so perfect mix. So we agreed that uh, I would uh, yes. Uh, we uh, agreed that he would write the second part to the book. Right. And, um, uh, uh, yes. So, so your part would be, for for example, all the stories from from the shale runs, the fun part. Yes, my part would be dealing exclusively with my observation, my, mm. the investigation I did about cases, whereas he reported cases in the literature that um, he had he had studied the papers and he wrote um, a fine part but these two parts are quite uh, these are quite yeah yeah so he he wrote that and that is uh, certainly a, a a valuable addition to the book and he, he for example he writes about cases from tribal society and cases from India and Brazil that others have investigated, and about cultural patterns and beliefs, and so on and so forth. So it was good to have him. Yeah. We shall, I shall ask you more questions about the book and some of the, the stories. But I just want to make an observation. Uh-huh. You said that uh, you focused on speaking with children in Iceland, Lebanon, Sri Lanka, and India. I focused on children. Well, um, uh, mostly I studied uh, cases in, in Sri Lanka and Lebanon. So Lebanon, that would be Druze people, right? Yes. Well, I told Stevenson when I we agreed I would make a study, then it would be best to do it in one country. So you come to know the country, the culture, you you develop contacts and ways to find the cases. And um, I like Sri Lanka. I had a little admin advice before. So we agreed that I would do it there. And it is not so difficult to find cases in Sri Lanka. No, but, but did you speak with Hindu or Buddhist children? Or both? The Sri Lankas are primarily Buddhist. There are not many Hindus. What about the Tamil? Pardon me? The Tamil people. Yes, the Tamil people, they are Hindus. Yeah, they live in Sri Lanka. You didn't speak with them? Yeah, in the north of Sri Lanka. But at the time when I did my study, there was a bit of a civil war between the with the town, oh, yeah. and I never went to the to the north. Right. And I think I have no Tamil cases in my, or not that I can recall at the moment. But but with the children in India, did you speak with Hindu children there? Well, I didn't study much cases in in India. Um, when I was in India for other purposes, I would sometimes uh, make inquiries about a certain aspect of a case mm. for Ian Stevenson, uh, of a case that he had investigated, but not fully. Mm. So I made uh, some interviews for him. But right. uh, but my um, emphasis was on cases in Sri Lanka. And then I wanted also to make a study of cases 
where there is a very different culture that are not not Hindus, not Buddhists. So um, we agreed, or I decided to do one in Lebanon among the Druze. Yeah, the Druze. Mm. A religion that is, uh, well, it is sort of a, they have their own religion, but it is more related to Islam than it is to Buddhism or Hinduism. Yes, but but for for the listeners who maybe don't know about the Druze religion, I want to point out that they too accept reincarnation, yeah. as, as so many religions actually do. <clears throat> yeah. So so that was very clever, and also uh, Iceland is is uh, famous for having many open-minded spiritual people you're very um, close to the earth the ancestors the traditions so if you were going to speak with children in the western world i think actually iceland would be the best place to to. but uh, of course iceland has a very small population yeah yeah these cases are very rare yeah one thing i would like to add that uh, in uh, Sri Lanka, we have the Buddhists, we have the Tamils, we have the Christians, we have the Muslims in different proportions. Most of them are Buddhists, but there are others. And in my study, I found cases among all the religious communities. So not just Buddhists, but even... They were partly of the Buddhist community, but there were also some of, of Muslim and Christian. Interesting. Yes. But th- those children, the parents of the children who were not Buddhist or Hindu, they were, were they open to this or were they trying to stop the memories? You mean the parents? The parents and the neighbors and the family. Yes. Well, it differed. Sometimes the parents, also among the Buddhists, they would try to suppress what the child was talking. Yeah. But many of those children are very persistent about these memories. They talk about them again and again, and even become a bit of a plague for the family. <laughs> they always want to talk about the, the, this memory. But you know, you know the skeptics. They claim that the children are being told what to say or that they're they're fantasy and that they become famous and they come in the newspapers. Like they have an incentive to... Uh, I think that the skeptics, they have one disadvantage. Mm. They haven't studied any case themselves. (laughs) Good point. uh, well, um, uh, yeah. Well, um, some uh, some may be fantasies, but um, uh, please repeat what you said. <laughs> well, I was just saying that they the skeptics claim that the children are coerced, or that they do it because they become famous. No, I think that they are coerced. Is uh, that is only at best in rare cases. Mm. Because generally, they, they tend, the, the, the parent, they tend to push down, suppress what the child is telling yeah. about the past life. And, and do they become famous? Do they come in the newspapers, every child who t- say yeah. that? Well, in Sri Lanka, when a correspondent learns about, of some newspaper learns about um, a case, 
he may go and interview the child and the parents, perhaps. So there will come a short article in the newspaper, but I don't think they will be. They they are not becoming famous. Mm. But uh, well, yeah, some receive some notoriety. Mm. But uh, you must have some kind of methodology, a way for you to distinguish which cases you choose to accept. So, what is your what is your filter? What is your method to collect these cases? Do you take anything that you are told? Well, uh, well, let me first uh, explain that I would always interview a child more than once, maybe half a year apart, ah. and see if there is some consistency in what they have been saying. Right. Then I will not only interview the child, I will interview the mother, maybe grandparents, maybe playmates. So I will um, try to come to know what the child has been saying from as many witnesses as possible and over some period of time. Mm. I not take as a case something that is only said once or briefly. It must be have some consistency. The case must last over some period of time. There must be several witnesses to the child's statements and so on. Mm. So uh, what would you say is the most Can you give one story that you think is very convincing or very uh, that made a very strong impression on you? Um, well, I think there was the case of Purnima Ekanayaka. It was a girl in Sri Lanka, and uh, she remembered that she had been on a bicycle and been killed mm. by a by a lorry or something vehicle, and she stated that she had been um, an incense maker. She had been making incense and made uh, made several different statements. It is listed in my book. And, uh, well, yes. Uh, then, uh, as I stated, also the area uh, where she had been living She uh, once went with the, with the, with her school to a to a temple, famous temple in India, the Kilinia Temple. Mm. And after that, she told her parents that she had lived on the other side of the Kilinia River, that that river passes the Kilinia Temple. Mm. And then a little later, a new teacher came to the school where her father was the principal. He was the master of the school. Mm. And he happened to be from that area of Kilinia. And he learned about the, the girl's statements. So he decided to uh, go to the other side of the river and investigate if there were any incense makers and if any of them had passed away not too long ago. Mm. Well, in, incense making is a very small profession. Yeah. So she found there were, had indeed been an incense maker on the other side of the river, and uh, there were two of them working together making incense. And uh, 
one of them, he, he had been killed when he was bringing the incense to the market. He was run over by uh, some big vehicle. So that was uh, confirmed. Uh, then also the child had been saying they were making Gita pizza or what was the name of the other? She came up with two names of the brands they were making. These were just names particular for them. Mm. And um, yes, and these uh, two incense makers, one of whom had died, they had indeed been making these uh, these uh, in, these uh, incenses. Mm. They had given their incense those names. And and the child he couldn't have learned about this from other sources. Well, that is hard to say, but uh, it seems unlikely that she had come to know it from uh, the other sources, mm. because um, the girl lived in this in central Sri Lanka, but the Kalinya Temple is uh, rather near to Colombo, that's on the coast and further mm. out. Mm. So, um, so that is unlikely. And, and the death uh, she described was the same as this uh, incense maker had died. Well, she didn't. Um, she didn't uh, describe it in detail, but he had died in an auto accident or a car accident. Right, right. Yeah. So here we have an example of a man who came back as a female. Yes. Yeah, mm, that's interesting. That is a rather unusual thing, but uh, so so usually they when they remember their former life, uh, it's the same gender. Yes, usually they are the same gender. That's interesting. But a certain percentage though has changed sex. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. She made Punima made the statement. I died in a traffic accident and came here. My family was making incense and had no other job. We were making Ambika incense. We were making Gita pizza incense. Mm. The incense factory uh, was near a big thunder factory and near a pond. Uh, we verified that. Oh, okay. So, and, uh, so in your book, you will uh, we will find many personal stories that you have uh, recorded from these children, right? Yes, the book is the book is full of stories that I have. Oh, gathered. that's excellent! That, <laughs> that's the fun part. Uh, I mean, I only write about cases that I have myself studied. Yeah. Jim Matlock, he writes some cases that others may have been investigated, like Hernani Andrade in Brazil and Ian Stevenson in the U.S. Right. But are you able to extract any patterns among uh, all these studies? For example, can you find that there is a certain time uh, before people are reincarnated, or is does that just seem random, or...? Any pattern at all to anything? Yes, there's one particular pattern that is very clear, and that is that these children, they, they, um, when when you uh, look at the past of the person, mm. if you can identify it, 
uh, that is that they have died violently. Ah. They have died in accidents or uh, or in some other way. So maybe, so maybe, if you remember as a child your former life, it's because uh, the death was traumatic, so it kind of shocked them. Yes. And it it uh, infested in the memory somehow. Yes, it also seems that uh, that uh, these uh, I want to see here no that um, um, well sorry now I lost my thoughts. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about patterns and uh, yes, the patterns. Yeah. Well, there's a pattern of uh, that they um, died violently. Right. And then there is a common with them that they will say to their parents, this is not my home. They say to their mother, you are not my mother. I have a real mother somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And the, the child will, will want to find that mother. And um, yeah, so they tell about violent death. And then quite a few of them have phobias and fears. Uh, they are related to their memories and related to how they died. Mm-hmm. So they have phobias and fears. And um, then I uh, also uh, made some psychological tests with them. And I found that uh, they tended to be gifted children. They um, had a greater vocabulary at an earlier age than their peers. Uh, but then also, so they were on one side more gifted, but then they had uh, some symptoms of a post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. Uh, and that is a disorder that people have if they've been through very stressful experiences. And, uh, of course, the stressful experiences, in their case, is the uh, memory of how they died. And uh, they will not only remember that they were in an auto accident, they will maybe remember the details of it, and they will often think about it. And that may cause the post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. And then they also, some of them, they have uh, birthmarks for physiological features Uh, that are um, related to, like, to the wounds they uh, had when they died. Mm. So they may have uh, a birthmark or, um, I don't know what you call it, yeah, uh, at the place where they had the wound that uh, brought them to death. I see. I see. What about scars or? Yes, they may have scars. Uh, that's mm. just it. They may have some scars mm. that are found on their body, and uh, and which um, could be uh, sometimes verified by getting to the to the post mortem report that was done in the case, uh, because sometimes because often these. Um, These are uh, cases of uh, accidents. Uh, there are some legal proceeding afterwards, and, and in the in the file on them, you will see that there is a, a, a postmortem report. And I studied some and found them that they are that the wound that child had suffered mm. 
that is um, can be seen as a scar on their body. Uh, but has any anyone any case where they remember the life uh, between the life? I mean, the the transition period or or even their birth. Yes, there are a few cases. Wow. Uh, the, the, where people have some memories of their life in between. Like in the case of Purnima Ekanayaka, she died, and then she was uh, hovering in a sort of semi-dark world for a while, um, and she could observe her grieving uh, family. And, uh, and then uh, she stated that she saw a light and came here, namely she came to her parents. Mm. So the title of my book, I Saw a Light and Came Here, mm. that is taken from one such case. Right. But these cases are not many. They are, they, are, they are, but still they are a few. And there's a Japanese uh, investigator. He has uh, uh, tried to um, find such cases in Japan and has uh, found a fair number of them. Hmm. Interesting. But is there any pattern about the time? Like how long time does it take from you die till you become reincarnated? Well, in these cases, the time interval is quite variable. But now um, I figured out the mean, uh, and that is somewhere between one and two years. And the shortened case, there was just one week. If that was a true case, you know. Wow. Yeah. If we had identified the previous personality correctly. Mm. Yes. So so this is a, it's a relatively short period between death and rebirth. Maybe maybe that is a contribution to why they remember it, because all these people have been reincarnated very quick after the death. Yes. I, I, I sometimes thought of these cases we get as uh, cases of quick return. Mm. These are cases of, uh, of persons who die mostly violently and then are reborn. But when you die violently, it means you are thrown out of your life. It's yeah. not the natural end to a life. It is something very disruptive. Mm. And... Uh, Yes, and maybe for that reason they will come back rather quickly. Yes, and and maybe maybe that is the reason why a common denominator is uh, that they remember the death. Yes, because because that's not necessarily what people will remember. Like if you have spiritual people who say they can remember their their life. Or fragments of the a former life, maybe not always. Death is a part of that. No. It's more like strong impressions from a former life. Like <laughs> everybody remembers to have been Cleopatra and Napoleon, <laughs> to put a cliche. Yeah. But you wouldn't remember their death. You would just remember the highlight. Yeah. But the, these children, they they tend to remember the death. Yeah. And their death and the events leading to their death. Right. Yeah. Right, the events. Did uh, many of them have a need to fix 
or to to go back and do something about the the former life, connect with uh, people, or find a killer or something like that. Uh, uh, I do not remember such a case. Uh, but uh, you know, when we talk about ghosts, very often. Uh, it's unfinished business. They need something to be completed before they can move on. Right. I was just wondering if it's the same kind of uh, need, desire. Well, I am not very clever about how to that. Okay. So I'm in a question I'm not really able to answer. But I think I... Uh, I remember... Well, I mean, don't, don't they have a desire to meet their real parents, as they call them? Yes, uh, they uh, they often want to find their previous parents, their previous home. And as I told you a while ago, they are um, they tend not to accept the present home and family, right? And think that uh, their real family lives somewhere else. And, uh, and they have, and their real parents are, yes, uh, are not their present parents. So they identified with their past life memories. Yeah. Were there any case where a child could meet the former family or loved ones? And, and how did such a meeting go? Was the child accepted? Was there a sort of redemption, uh, a satisfaction? Um, well, uh, these the children, they would often like to say that they want to go to the previous home, their previous family, and so on. Mm-hmm. But, um, in some instances, when the case was solved, the families met. But then uh, the children... Uh, never settled with the previous family. They uh, they stayed with their old family. The, the new family, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yes. They stay. Sorry, they stayed with their new present family. Yeah, but didn't go over to the old one. Mm. But sometimes there were connections and friendship established between the two families or between the. Ah. child of the premier's family that lasted a long time. Right, right. That's nice. Uh, but but uh, w- when do the children seem to forget the memory? Uh, w- what is the age of all these children? Is there some pattern here? Well, it differs. I made one study of this, and uh, uh, they usually tend to... They, they usually start to forget so when they are six, seven, eight, nine years old. Mm. And uh, and some forget everything, but some have quite a number have uh, memories that uh, that continue to be with them. But I made a study of this and I found that uh, children who have memories uh, yes, um, and when you ask them about these memories when they are much older, mm. then you find that um, they will only have kept about 10% of their original memories. Ah. I did this. Um, I uh, looked at the cases of Stevenson, cases that he had studied in the 50s and 60s, and then I met the peop- these people when they were grown up in the in the nineties, perhaps, mm. 
and ask them about their previous memories. And they would only recall about maybe, or not maybe, but uh, around 10%. So much of these uh, memories are gone, and uh, some do not remember anything at all. Hmm. Interesting. So it seems that the first seven years is when we are most open to this. Yes. But not all of them die as children, right? Yes. Many of them were adults. No, no, no. They don't die necessarily as children. No, no. No. They they die at the various ages and, uh, yeah. I have somewhere in the book, there's a domain age for, I think, yeah. Mean age uh, at which these people died, uh, whom their children seem to be talking about. And uh, usually they are, uh, many of them are young, tend to be young, mm. but there are also some elderly people. And I remember, like one, it was a monk, I think. He claimed to have had pain in his chest. He fell to the floor and he died. Uh, We were able to identify that monk. And uh, he had been uh, sort of in his uh, older days. Mm. Yeah, but the people you, the children you talk with, are they always... Uh, are you all? Did you always find their origin, or were there many where you never find? Oh, there were there were quite uh, many who never we never found any. We're not able to verify in any any way. Right. And there were some uh, who made statements that uh, we could verify they were either right or wrong, and there were a number of cases that were of that kind. So um, one, one, so there are there's quite a number of cases that cannot be true. They are either fantasies, or they are a mixture of uh, yeah. true memories and some fantasies that the child has has had developed through. Yeah, developed. Yes. Yeah, it's probably hard to to keep that pure. I mean, uh, we have false memories even from this life, the same life. We can have, you know, fantasies to attached to the memory. So, so it's hard. But what about the location? Are they always in the same country? Uh, most of the time, they are in the same country. Often, they are not far from each other. Mm. And uh, there are, in fact, uh, very few cases that where the person is uh, remembering a life that uh, seems to have taken place in a different country. Uh, I remember about my Sri Lankan cases. I think they were almost all of them taking place in Sri Lanka. I have a me- my memory about one case of someone who remembered have been killed in a traffic accident. But, uh, uh, well, we suspected that uh, that man had been um, working somewhere in the in the Middle East, which is common in Sri Lanka. People go there mm. and work in the, in the Arab world. Right. And then, and then reincarnated back in Sri Lanka. Yes, and then, but then they reincarnate uh, again in Sri Lanka. 
Mm. But uh, honestly, I don't need my book again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's many. How, how many cases do you think you have explored, or all, all in all, five hundred? No, 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 no. I uh, I investigated some. I think it was sixty-four cases in Sri Lanka, and by saying I investigated, I tried to study them, to study them as far as possible. Yeah. I took each case as a legal case and uh, investigated it, looked at the strengths and weaknesses, found witnesses and so on and so forth. And then in um, in uh, Lebanon, I had somewhat over 30 cases. Hmm. My purpose in, in, in Lebanon was primarily to find cases uh, enough so I could make a psychological study. And uh, usually, uh, 30 cases is sufficient for that. Yeah, so I, um, well, these are 90. Then I had, uh, well, there was one case in Iceland. Then I had, uh, I think I, I had the hand in one case in India. Mm. So, yeah. But, but, but these are the cases you uh, explore, but there must be many, many cases that you do not there, there must be much more cases around than what you have explored. Yes, of course. Uh, well, uh, no, I would include uh, in these numbers also cases that, that uh, had a dead end. Mm. I studied a, a great number of these cases. I meet by the number of people, so... But... Uh, okay. Uh, just a moment... Uh, Please say this again. What do you say? Yeah, so so of all the cases, how many would you say had a dead end and how many did check out? 50-50? Well, there were a number of them in, um, who had the dead end. Well, I, I would have to say any number, but uh, maybe it was uh, a third or more. So, okay, that's interesting. What would you say is the strangest case you ever have seen? Weirdest case? Well, well, there was a case um, of a young boy, Duminta Ratnayake. He was born, brought up up in the country, not far from country, the, the, the main town in the center of the country. And he claimed to have been in the, a monk in the Askeria temple, a senior monk. Mm. And, uh, well, uh, and he made many um, statements about this life. Also, that some that didn't fit the life of a monk, like that he had money and that he had a car and so on. Okay. <laughs> which people didn't believe. But then, it was found out that uh, in Askeria, the chief monk, we may study this case very thoroughly, yeah. he claimed to have been a chief monk, Mahanayaka, I think it was called. Uh -huh. And they, in fact, are in charge of the money of the ah, monastery. Right. They have a lot of money. Yeah. And in this case, which is not common, the chief monk, he also had a car, and the boy was talking about that they had a, he had, had a red car. 
And it was true. This uh, previously, uh, or perhaps also at that time, the Mahanayakas, the chief monks, they had a car, but um, the one we are now referring to, he had a red car. Uh -huh. We studied this case, uh, I studied this case very carefully, and it was published um, before my book was published. And it is, um, yes, you find all the details in the book. Yeah. And this this boy, he also wanted to become monk again. Mm. Very, very keen uh, to become a monk and uh, told the family he wanted to become a monk, he wanted to become a monk, he wanted to become a monk. Well, in the end, they gave up. <laughs> he joined his old monastery. Mm. And, uh, and there he was for several years and uh, he was very quite uh, well accepted and popular with the, with the leaders of the monastery. Yeah, did they accept him as the former master? Uh, well, uh, I think so. I, I, th I tend to believe so. Mm. I do not remember. Yes, I think they did. <laughs> and, um, and then he was, he was brought up as a monk. But then when he became of age, so around 20 or before that, he became very interested in computer, oh. in computers, <laughs> and he became very clever with them. Right. <laughs> so he started to work with a security company <laughs> uh, to set up cameras and so on and so forth for business and companies and so on. Oh. So he did that. And then he decided he wanted to leave the monkhood. He wanted to disrupt. <laughs> and he did that. And, uh, uh, and then he went to the University of Colombo uh, and studied computer science and completed that. Wow. He is in charge of, uh, of computer matters for a certain part of the, or for a major institution, uh, major governmental institution in Sri Lanka. Huh. Yes, yeah. and not only that, then later he met a girl and they married and they had a child. And he is, by the way, one or two persons with whom I have kept in contact after, right. after these many years. Yeah. The other uh, person is Purnima Ekanayaka, who remembered being an incense maker. Yeah, the one you told about, told us about. Yes, I told you about. That, that, that story uh, about the monk really took a strange twist. It did. <laughs> uh, but your son, when I spoke with uh, Harald, yes. he told me about a case about a monk where the child said the secret password that only the the monk could know and and when you talked with the monastery it, it was verified yeah. yeah so so that that is a pretty interesting when they are private to special knowledge yeah and when you investigate this and you verify this knowledge yeah it is a very st strong indication that yeah, but, but I, I had also one case that had nothing to do with monks. Yeah, but um, there was a a boy who claimed to have been a miner. Mm, miner. 
but mines in Sri Lanka are usually just pits in the ground and then get filled with water. Maybe they are like uh, three, four meters at the most. Mm. And uh, uh, yes, and there they will uh, take up uh, the soil, put it on a basket, and it is taken up. They are trying to find precious stones. And then they have this kind of basket, and then they move it in a certain way, shake it in a certain way. Mm. And um, this boy, he claimed to have been doing this. So we brought him to a miner and to some mines mm -hmm. and let him do it. And the miners told him they did exactly right. So, well, that was it. Ah, so he too verified the, the special skill, the special knowledge. Yes, he verified how they did it. And they also said he spoke. He used the, uh, the right uh, words for mm. the work of the miners. Hmm. Um, this is interesting. Of course, we cannot know for sure if maybe, I mean, what if these children just have very strong, I don't know what you can call it, clairvoyance, telepathy, yes. that they are seers, that they tap into the collective consciousness somehow. Yes. Well, that is, uh, that is the one of the uh, potential explanations. Mm that these children have some telepathic abilities. Uh, they go into the past and uh, zoom in on one particular individual and get uh, the information from them. Yeah, but it doesn't explain it doesn't explain scores and, and, and birthmarks, you know, and yeah, the, well, <laughs> and the post-traumatic stress. That is a problem in that. Uh, yeah. With that interpretation, that are the birthmarks. How do they get the birthmark <laughs> mm. that fit the wounds from which they apparently died? Yeah. So there are um, there are complications. Yeah. 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 All of our files are free, and will remain free. If you like the show. You can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. You know about this super psi explanation? I mean, uh, I think it's really ridiculous, uh, just like Alex in Skeptical. Uh, but it is like super-sized explanation they use to cling to materialism as an explanation. Like like these children just have some kind of weird psi explanation, uh, psi uh, ability. The psi explanation is uh, has been around for a long time, and uh, it is a yes, it's a it may be a good explanation for some some of the cases. But I see some difficulties with others. Yeah. So, yeah. What about yourself? Are you convinced uh, about reincarnation? Well, uh, uh, well, I find that there is uh, good evidence for it, really very good evidence for it, mm. and that it is difficult to interpret these cases without uh, taking into the... Um, 
interpretation, the, the reincarnation theory. Mm. But you, your work seems to be driven by an early spiritual transformative experience. Yes. Um, so how how do you balance or come to understand the relationship between science and spirituality? Because you're working in the middle of these two fields. Well, um, what do you mean by science here? For me, science is using the scientific method um, to solve some problem or to investigate some problem. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I think in the study of these cases, we have used scientific investi- uh, method. We have used um, really the same methods as are used in uh, illegal cases, mm. whether uh, a thorough investigation of a case. And uh, yeah, so we, uh, yeah, so it, uh, and that is, uh, that is scientific, I would say. Yeah, yeah, good point. Uh, how has uh, academia met this kind of work? Do you, do you feel that there is a, an openness to this kind of work, or, or, or are you just meeting challenges and closed doors? Uh, well, well, I think uh, most uh, most academics they are not aware of this. They they know nothing about this. But there's some who do. Well, they. Uh, look at that critical with critical eyes and they think that uh, there must be some faults in the investigation and so on and so forth but uh, yeah but I think Stevenson has been investigating it Bruce Grayson his successor has been investigating this and I have been investigating it and then there is one Jürgen Kyle in the south of uh, in Tasmania. He has also investigated cases. But uh, Jürgen Kyle, he is the only man who sort of takes the um, telepathic um, interpretation seriously or thinks that it's a possibility. Mm. So those who have been investigating these cases, they do not all agree fully on... Um, on the causes of the cases. You mean the explanations, the interpretations? Yes, on the interpretations. Mm. Do do you get are these studies in reincarnation that you and others do? Are they being peer reviewed and taken seriously? Sorry, are they taken seriously? Yeah, in academia by scholars. Well, uh, well, uh, some most will not know anything about them. Mm. Some will know something about them, and some will have uh, pre-set ideas of what is possible and what is not. Mm. And so they will reject these cases as they think this just isn't possible. Yeah, bias. Well, others will be uh, more open and say, first, you must look at the data mm. and um, see what is in them, and then we must find an interpretation. Yeah, good point. Do do you know if there's been any investigation by anyone into uh, uh, what's it called again? Regression. You know when people are re- yes. Yeah. Well, there have been many cases uh, attempt, but Stevenson, I haven't done any of that. No, 
verstimmen schon, hitzeide, um, his uh, impression was, or conclusion was, that this would just confuse the child and didn't uh, bring anything new that was really verifiable. Yes, but okay, that, that makes sense. But I mean, but I didn't think of that. Uh, that's interesting. What I thought of now was if, let's say, I go to uh, a regression therapist and, yes. and he takes me back to a former life. There's a million stories like that. Ordinary people who yes. say they have experienced something that looks like a former life. Has no one tried to investigate this and see if there is anything to learn from this? Well, um, I cannot tell you if no one has done it. I think some have done it. Hmm. But uh, I think some things have come out of it, but it does not proven to be a fertile field to investigate. No, probably hard to verify. Yes. Because I have heard anecdotes from people I've met and many of them, you know, they, they have made discoveries that has verified. But it will always only be anecdotes. Yeah. Uh, it's very hard, I guess, to make it that scientific, you know. Yes. Uh, especially if you don't put a lot of resources into investigating Yes. Traveling, and I mean, who, nobody uh, who, who, is anyone sponsoring this kind of study? Did you get grants from university? Um, well, first I got a grant really from Stevenson from the University of Virginia, hmm. and uh, then later I started to work with the Institute for Grenzgebiete der Psychologie in Freiburg. Hmm. And, but I was still continuing about this. So they funded some of my studies to Sri Lanka and, um, and Lebanon. And then when I came to Iceland, we, uh, we at the university, we tend to get uh, some funding and we are free to use it as we like. It is not uh, tied to a specific project. And I used uh, some of that uh, funds to do that. Mm. I also got some funding from the Bial Foundation in Portugal. I think it was for my for the psychological studies. So yes, I have had funding from different sources, but it started really with Stevenson. Mm. Mm. Is there anyone uh, in the field who can continue this important work that you and Stevenson have? Some younger younger scientists out there who is taking up the yes. tradition? Yes, he has a successor at the University of Virginia, and that is Jim Tucker. Mm. Dr. Jim Tucker. He has been investigating cases, I think, particularly in, in Asia, but also emphasized more to find cases in the U.S. Stevenson hmm. was always a bit sort of shy about his research about into children who remember past life. But Jim Tucker, he has been willing to, to discuss his research with newspapers and radio and so on. And in that way, he has come to learn about interesting cases in the U.S. Mm. And uh, and he is uh, now a quite an active researcher in this field. 
I would expect California maybe to, I mean, that's the new age capital of the world. So <laughs> they will be open for this. <laughs> well, well, I think. Um, In California. Well, yes, maybe. But I am not aware of any particular cases from, from coming from California. But I am not so well informed about this new American case, I must say. No, no that's okay. There are also, yeah. also cases found in, um, in Brazil, in South America. Ah. There was one scholar, uh, Hermani Andrade. Mm -hmm. He studied, uh, found, found and investigated quite a few cases in Brazil. But he, is, he, is, he, he, he passed away quite some time back. Okay, did he publish his work? Yes, he published his work, and Stevenson also referred to it. Yes. But you, you have had a long-standing interest in reincarnation and, and also mediumship yeah. and other parapsychology. How, how would you compare or contrast the, the study of these phenomena with other parapsychological research? Do you see relationship uh, patterns here too well uh, is it possible to make is it possible to draw any conclusions from from this research into the different fields well of course uh, there was the famous experiment of jb ryan where he was threatening extrasensory perception but uh, that is a bit different and then we of course we have all the study of mediumship where uh, a medium uh, brought some information that uh, she could know about, but was apparently from a deceased uh, person. So, uh, well, it is, uh, yeah, yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> no. I, I don't know how to answer you fully. No, no, that's okay. About uh, the children that you've studied, uh, have you ever heard stories, either your own cases or other cases, where they have spoken about other times, like like in where you know this isn't modern time? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, they generally speak about a time, or seems to be referring about a time that is rather recent. Mm. And uh, I do not remember any, uh, from these children, any cases that seems to indicate a long distant past. But when you speak to people, just ordinary people like you and me, yeah. then, <laughs> some, uh, then some of them come up that they have some... Um, uh, uh, Memory from a long... Yeah, yeah, they were Cleopatra or Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from a long distant past. Yeah. Yeah. But there is also one interesting thing, that among these children, no one that I know about or that I have studied has claimed to have been any important person. Ah. These were all common people, just sort of the ordinary kind of people. They were not important, not... Uh, Just unknown, unknown people, yeah. anonymous. Yes. Interesting.
That's a strength, I think. That's a a strength to their stories. But what about, have you ever heard of any case where they speak of other worlds, like other planets or or, or something weird, some... some... Uh, Lime on other planets? Yeah, for example. I mean, something that can be interpreted as not the Earth. I do not recall that. No. Um, No, I don't think so. Because, you know... The reincarnation hypothesis has there's there's many versions. I mean, you have some who think that you can reincarnate not just forward but also backwards in time. Yeah. You have some that thinks you can reincarnate on different planets. Yeah. You have some that think we can reincarnate as other creatures like animals. And, uh, of course, one interesting problem maybe is that we are, how many people are we on the Earth now? Seven billion? Something like that. Yeah. And and then some will say, okay, but where did all these people come from if everybody reincarnates? Yes. Well, that is a, that is a, that is a personal problem. But there has been one um, scholar who found a solution to that. Uh, he thought that uh, some uh, when population was smaller, then there was a long time between reincarnation. Mm. But nowadays, when they have become, uh, the population has grown, it means that people are reincarnating very quickly. Yeah. But how it is, I, uh, of course, I can't know. And, um, and that is, um, that's an important criticism, really, of this, uh, of reincarnation. Yeah. And, uh, and there's also those who claim that today everybody is on earth who has ever lived uh, in the past are now present at the same time. Um, that could explain why we are so many if we take everyone who ever lived on earth. Yeah. Maybe. Yes, maybe. Yes. And and there's also an interesting philosophical explanation, and that is that there are two ways to reincarnate. One is that we are being split. Uh, we accumulate lots of experience, and then we split into different. Like, like if I reincarnate, I may become two different persons. Yes. And many explain the soulmate as, as this. And then there is those who say that we can also do the opposite. We can uh, reincarnate with different persons in one uh, as a new person. <laughs> I mean, this is philosophy. This isn't uh, science. But do you have any thoughts about this? Well, this is too far-fetched for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. But... We haven't have any evidence for it. No, no, and and we can't find evidence for this. Of course, it's it's beyond that. But we t- talk about far fetched. Um, you did write a book about the Indian sage Satya Sai Baba. Yes, I did before his death. Uh, but there are many videos and investigations suggesting that at least some of his miracles have been staged or faked. What what do you make of this? Well, um, he was a complicated problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, he may have, uh, 
you have to look at this youth and this uh, whole history because uh, when people are very close to him and they observed him do so remarkable things that they were all puzzled about and, and then many of his phenomena they uh, happened at a distance for example he uh, he was very fond of producing what they called to be booty this holy ass and he would give it to people. Mm. But, uh, then some people, they hung up photographs of him. And uh, then after a while, they would come specks of a booty on the photographs. And they explained that, that that came from Sai Baba. And they didn't know that anyone had had these photographs. So, so th- these were... Interpreted as, as distant phenomena of Sai Baba, but uh, but he was a very puzzling person, Sai Baba. Yeah, and he would like when he was young, he would like um, they would often go down to the riverbed nearby near Buddha Party. Mm. He might, for example, with his hand shovel the sand till it was like a. A heap of sand, and then he would put his hand into it and come out with a hand, and there was a there was a, a fresh pancake on it, hmm. and uh, it didn't have a, a a grain of sand on it, and he would then give this to people. So there are many very puzzling, and that is the reason why people started to. Uh, gather around them, they found there were so many miraculous events around them that uh, they gathered great uh, crowds around them. Hmm. And they worshipped him and so on. So he was, uh, yes, uh, of course he is most famous for giving away objects, producing some say objects that he would give away. Yeah. I remember, and sometimes these these objects came around because of something he was talking about or people were talking about. I remember once with him, uh, I was with Kalasosis then, and we were trying to convince him to participate in some experiments. Mm. But he sort of didn't give a real answer, and he never did in the end. But uh, so we were, and we were arguing that it was so important for science to know more about this phenomena. Yeah. Yes. And so we were pressing the um, approach of science, but he would then respond, I'm pressing the the um, aspect of morality and religion and so on. Hmm. And then uh, he said to me that um, daily life and spiritual life should be interwoven like a double rudraksha. And I didn't know what a rudraksha was, and still less what was a double rudraksha. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So I asked him, what is a rudraksha? And he uh, tried to explain, and our interpreter tried to explain, but we were not happy. I was not happy with the with the uh, with their explanation, but was very insistent to, 
to get to know that, then you seem to lose patience, move this hand in a particular way when you're creating an object, and then he showed me in his hand a rutraksha, a double rutraksha. Mm. And um, yeah, that's all out. And then he said, then he gave it to me to see, and I examined it. I gave it to the interpreter. He also examined it. And then for some reason, our interpreter gave it to Sai Baba. And then he shook his hand once more. And then he, he opened his palm and said, this is a gift for you. And there was a double rudraksha, but with a golden shield above and below it, and a little cross, and in that cross was a, a, a ruby, it seemed, wow. and it was later proven to be a, 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 a ruby. So, well, he seemed to be able to change this, and so many of these uh, phenomena around that they came about because of the discussion of what you're talking about. Like, I couldn't understand what a double reduction was, and um, and then in the end he produced it. Hmm. Well, you may say that he was a great actor and he had planned this all all, all along, but uh, but it didn't look like that to me. Yeah, but we know you know similar charges has been made against people like Yuri Geller, yeah. who who on one hand he has passed laboratory scrutiny. Uh, for his abilities but on the other hand he has also used stage magic and we see the same in Ushu Ushu seems to be uh, some think he has some real gift but he is also be engaging in deception so uh, I mean what are we to make of this could could we here talk about people who actually do both that they both have abilities but that they also uh, engage in in tricks for some reason. Uh, well, I think that may be the case that there are some who uh, do both. Maybe there are some they want to make something genuine, and when it doesn't turn up, they yeah. <laughs> do it the tricky way. <laughs> but isn't this a problem for for scientific research? I mean, what do you do? What do you scientists and researchers do to manage this process? Do you have any way to... to uh, if, you, if the man is willing to be examined, and um, then, I, then they can be sure that there is no tricks involved, or, or pretty sure. Mm. But the problem with Sai Baba was that we never got to... to uh, we never got him involved in any laboratory research or um, or critical exam- examination. Yeah. So, so he remained uh, he remained sort of unsolved, but um, but there was such a wealth of uh, observations that people made and over a long period of time and um, that. Uh, you cannot just write it off, all of it as tricks, uh, in my view, that it would be rather superficial. And uh, I think that is uh, mostly done by people who never really studied him mm. and various aspects of the phenomena that 
and also talk to people who were with him, were with him when he was young, and um, so. Yeah, but people can be, uh, especially disciples, can be uh, very impressionative. They, they, they can be impressed very easily. Maybe uh, I mean I haven't studied him, but I imagine that there's a certain goodwill. Just like the skeptics are so hostile that they they just. Yeah. Uh, refuse everything immediately. But the opposite is also true that you can be so open or, or so. Yes. Yeah, we can't be deceived, of course. Deceived, yeah. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, you, you have studied parapsychology uh, for a long time. You, you studied. Uh, like we said, reincarnation. You studied these uh, some of these spiritual people. Um, what does your work, your scientific work, taught you about spirituality? Do you have any insights uh, at the end of the interview here that you can share with people about spirituality? Well, you were talking about paranormal phenomena, and now you're talking about spirituality. Okay, you can start with distinguishing it. Well. Uh, well, I think the paranormal phenomena, they may not have to anything to do with spirituality. Mm. I think we, uh, spirituality is more an approach, general approach to life. And uh, we think of spiritual people who are very benevolent and, uh, and about the saints and so on. But some of these saints, they also have had some remarkable paranormal abilities. Mm. Like, uh, yeah, well, I'm thinking about the just a moment about the flying monk <laughs> who now I cannot remember his name. He was uh, he levitated quite often, and especially when he was in a religious situation, when he was in a church. Once he was brought to the Pope, and then he levitated quite high. And uh, so, yeah, that is, uh, come on. And then, of course, in mediumship, you also have very gross physical phenomena. Yeah. Like in the case of Indriti Indrason, I wrote a book about him, the Icelandic physical medium. Mm Mm-hmm. He would often, at sittings, he would levitate, and people would see him levitate. And he would, they had to sort of to hold him down. <laughs> and uh, wow. with him, there was also a lot of light phenomena. They had their shares in darkness, but in the darkness, they would come like star-like um, lights with different colors, uh-huh. sometimes more, sometimes less, and sometimes even a pillar of light And in that pillar of light, a person would appear and he would be able to talk and and communicate with the sitters. And there was one thing, one case that became very famous um, about this pillar of light. At one time, this pillar of light appeared and a man appeared in it. And then he disappeared again. And then he said he had been to Copenhagen. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, and there was a fire in Copenhagen, and at that time there was no radio, no telephone to Iceland, from Iceland to abroad. So those who were present, they wrote this down that he had been stating there was a fire in Copenhagen. Uh huh. 
And then they waited for the next ship to arrive from Copenhagen with Politiken. And then they saw on the, in a prominent place in, in uh, Politiken, mm-hmm. there had been a fire in Sture Kongenskade. Mm. He had, I think he had also mentioned the name Sture Kongenskade. And, uh, and the many other things that he had said about the fire were correct. Mm. And then, by the way, then this man disappeared. And then he came again in the pillar of light, maybe a, an hour or two later. And then he told them that the fire in in um, in Copenhagen was under control. Hmm. And uh, when these uh, researchers then read the account of the fire in Copenhagen, it was in a factory in uh, on uh, Sture Kongenskade. Hmm. It proved right that the, the fire had come and uh, it had been almost put out, but then it came up again and uh, and then it was put out finally. And uh, this was a description of something happening in a very distant place. Mm. Even in, uh, it's quite a distance from Iceland to Denmark. Oh, yeah. Yes. And this reminds one of the case of Swedenborg, the Swedish Swedenborg. Yes, Emanuel Swedenborg. Emanuel yes. Swedenborg. Yeah. He yeah. once arrived from England on a ship to Gothenburg, Göteborg. Mm. And, uh, and then he said to his friends that there was a fire in Stockholm, and he described it, and he seemed to be concerned if it would reach his house. But um, according to him, it didn't. And mm. then I think about uh, uh, two days later or something, there came um, a messenger on a, on a horse from uh, Stockholm and um, to the governor in Gothenburg. And, um, and then it was verified that there had indeed been a fire in, in Stockholm. Right. Yeah, and, um, and in fact, um, this fire had not reached the home of Swedenborg. So this fire in Copenhagen and fire in, uh, in uh, Stockholm by Swedenborg, one by Swedenborg, the other by Indra, the Indrason, hmm. is very similar. Yeah. And I wrote one paper about these two cases. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So uh, very remarkable cases indeed. So, um, okay, so, so yeah, so paranormal phenomenons are not necessarily, you know, spiritual uh, and may not necessarily have anything to do with spirituality. But for people who are spiritual seekers, is there anything we can learn from all your research into these uh, paranormal fields? Is there any well, conclusions? When you mention that uh, these phenomena happen to spiritual people, we must also think about it, that in the life of Jesus, there were many miracles, very remarkable miracles. And, and Buddha. Yes, yes. And uh, Pythagoras and so on. Yes. Yes, and uh, I tend to think that if there had been no miracles in the life of Jesus, that uh, Christianity may may never have come around. Mm. 
it was through his uh, his uh, miracles that uh, that the religion really took off and became a world religion. So, so maybe spiritual adepts need sometimes to use a little paranormal phenomenon in order to get people to open up to their message. Yes, I think so. I think that uh, it seems that Jesus did that anyway. Yeah. And uh, I think also even our Sai Baba, he did it in a way. He loved to uh, uh, surprise people and make them just uh, flabbergasted with with uh, surprise. Right, right. And uh, yes, but I'm sure there'll be more of that kind. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So we're we we almost done here. Yeah. Uh, so last question for you is a personal question, if that's okay. Yes. So, have you had any encounters or any paranormal experience yourself? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yes. You want to share it? <laughs> uh, just, well, let me first think about it. Yeah. Uh, yes. Well, I will tell you one thing. Okay. When I was a student in Copenhagen in the... In the, I think it was in the 1950s. Uh-huh. There I rented a, a room from um, two ladies. They uh, used a flat there as um, they were sewing and um, repairing clothes. Hmm. There was a kitchen also there. And then uh, about six o'clock they would go and I never, I, I never saw them in the evening or weekends. But then one night I heard there was something, someone in the kitchen doing something. So I thought, well, the the ladies must have come now. Hmm. So I opened, and then no light, and then this noise became dead silent. Hmm. Well, so I was a bit surprised. Well, then I, uh, a little later, I was reading something or doing something, but then a little later, I noticed again. So again, I opened the door very carefully, and as I opened it, everything became dead silent. <laughs> there was no light. <laughs> yeah. Spooky. And uh, uh, then the third thing was the most surprising. Uh-huh. Then a bit later, I went to bed, and I slept on a sofa. And on the table that I had at the sofa, I had, I had, um, I had the light I used for my bicycle. And when I had just fallen asleep, I was suddenly blinded by a light. Oh. And then the light from my bicycle had suddenly lit, and it, it, uh, it was, uh, it lit. And was directly directed to my eyes. Wow. That was a odd coincidence. This had happened before. And this, I had this light uh, for several months, I think. Uh-huh. And it was always in perfect order. So why did I hear this noise in the kitchen twice? Uh-huh. Why was this light uh, lit uh, and directly into my eyes? So this is one. Did you did you tell the women about this? Did I tell the women? No, I'm I'm afraid I never told them. Because maybe they could tell you something about the place, you know. 
So yes, they could. Uh, it, it could be that uh, some people must have lived there before. Yeah. Uh, yes, I regret I didn't. Uh, I didn't ask him about it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they would tell you it's the house ghost. <laughs> yes. Maybe they had also been aware of some. Right. Right. Well, you became a better investigator later in life, so that's okay. (laughs) Thanks you very much for your patience and for your open um, uh, sharing with us. I recommend uh, your book to everyone. And it's not just that it's important that people buy these books so we can get more funding for this kind of work. But also, it's very interesting to see this story. It's very entertaining. You don't have to be a scientist to read your book, right? It's it's for everyone, right? Um, These books are um, written in an easy way. I do not write any complicated English because I'm a... Not an English natural speaker. Oh, so you write the book directly in English, not in Iceland, and then they translate it? Uh, well, I saw a light and came here that I wrote in English. Mm, okay. And it has never been published in Icelandic. But uh, in the past, among the living, I first wrote that in, in Icelandic, then in English. And then the book about Sai Baba, I wrote in English. It, it doesn't exist in... Uh, in um, in Iceland, and also the book about Indra, the interest on the physical medium that I wrote in English, and it doesn't uh, has not been translated. Yeah, I have to say you have made incredibly many uh, journal articles, incredibly many, alone and together with. renowned scientists all over the world. I will link that page for our audience so they can go. Some of them are out with full text so they can read them. Yes, you can. You can uh, put anything. You can reveal everything from my... Yeah. Yes, and also um, tell them about my homepage or give the link to my homepage where they can read the uh, many original articles. Mm. And, and the fields you are covering are all sorts of parapsychology? Uh, sorry? Uh, subjects you cover are uh, all forms of parapsychology? Well, uh, I would say... I rather like the word uh, psychical research. Mm. Uh, yes, uh, but it deals with uh, yes with paranormal phenomena, mm. with ex- unexplained matters, and uh, with some things that uh, are odds with uh, with materialistic science. Yeah, I would say you have some philosophical and spiritual works too. It seems yeah. you have made. Yes. What do you think about? What, what do you have in mind? Well, human stupidity, for instance. <laughs> I, I mentioned what? Huh? What did you say? I mentioned... Dan manneskliya dumhet, human stupidity. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, but I'm just seeing, I'm just uh, reading the list of your publications, your, yes. your articles. Uh, yeah. Then, of course, my book on Sai Baba has appeared in some 20 editions. Uh, the book that I wrote, The Kalisosis at the Hour of Death, that has also appeared in some 20 editions. Uh, the, um, 
the departed among the living is in Icelandic, English, and Italian. But mm. the, inter the interesting book, and I saw a light and came here, that still exists only in uh, in English. Mm. Okay, that's great. So um, uh, we will link everything, and people can get it uh, okay. easily f from Amazon or wherever. So that's great. Yeah. So uh, uh, and one more thing: this is um, uh, going out on two different podcasts. It's going out on my own podcast, mm -hmm. and it's going out to another podcast called Skeptico. Yes, and they have they have interviewed you before, actually. Oh, I think so. Man. They are uh, in America. Yes. Yes. You are in Norway. Yes, correct. Yes. So thanks a lot, Erland, for uh, coming on the show yeah. and educating us about this incredibly interesting matter. Yeah. Well, thank you, Al. It was great to talk to you. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. Likewise. Uh, it's so, also interesting for me to review these things. Pardon? It's also interesting for me to review yeah. some of these uh, things on my work. Yeah. By the way, I think it was very good questions and it was balanced from your point. So, so I, I much appreciate that. Uh, okay. okay, great. Okay, I'm very fine to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. Have a great, great evening. Same to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's our show. Thank you for listening to Forum Borealis. Before I leave you, I will read you an excellent excerpt regarding this matter. But first, let me invite you to support us if you enjoy our shows. How can you support us? Well, the simplest is to subscribe to our YouTube channels both the main channel and the shorts channel. That's a tremendous help. And remember to click the bell so you get notified when we have a new release. They are already, as it is, few and far between, and it doesn't help that YouTube is censoring independent media in order to boost the mainstream platforms that has now flooded the tube. Now, if you want to go further, um, of course, you can spread the shows. If there's someone you know who you suspect will enjoy a particular program we made, send them that. Recommend that they check it out. The best way to get someone on board is for them to discover and experience it themselves. And if you're hooked... You can subscribe to our website. You know, if you donate a dollar or more, we give you access. And there will always be a minimum of five unreleased shows, plus the extras. Uh, at this moment, it's twice that. But don't let money be an obstacle. I mean, of course, every contribution counts and will facilitate us producing more, faster, better. But only chip in what you can afford. We wouldn't want you to part with your hard-earned money leading to suffering. Also, we appreciate all the communications we receive, but... But we reached the threshold. We just can't cope with all the inquiries. So 
and and I, I'm not even reading mails. Bella is taking care of that, so so you can't reach me that way. If you become a website subscriber, I am partaking in the forum we have there for our subs, so that's the best way to reach me if you are so inclined. Now we're going to follow up this uh, topic in future programs, so stay tuned for that. Finally, now let me read you an old poem before parting. I spent a million years in the world of minerals, as a rock, as a cliff. Then I died to the inorganic state, became endowed with growth, as a flower, as a tree. Forgetting my former existence because of its otherness. Then I attained to the animal, oblivious of my life as a plant, except for inclinations in the season of spring and sweet herbs, like the inclination of infants towards their mother's bosom. Then I died from animality. And I was human, my mind ripened, awakening from greed and self-seeking, to become wise and knowing. I behold a hundred thousand intelligences, most marvelous, and remember my former states and inclinations. At the next remove I shall die to man that I may soar and lift up my head amongst the angels blessed, but even from angelhood I must pass on. So when I die again, I will rise past the stars, escape even their heavenly state, for everything is perishing except his face. Yet once more I shall be sacrificed to become that which you cannot imagine. Oh, let me not exist, and when I cease, the void saith to me, proclaimed in tones loud as an organ, Verily unto the source shall you return. Now, why then should I fear? When have I become less? And what have I ever lost by dying? Said Mevlana Rumi, which concludes this episode today. Your host has been Al. Thanks to my team and your generous support. Until next time we cross paths, I remain yours sincerely. Be seeing you. Who is number one?